0: Welcome to this special edition of Listen to This Bull. This is Breaking Bull. We've got some very interesting information regarding definitions that are being pushed into ASTM requirements to change the language that is in the International Code Council's building codes. Are these being utilized against policyholders to the benefit of the insurance? We're going to find out as we go through these right now. I got Chad Williams here with me. Chad, you are on one of the ASTM boards. Is that right? I'm on the ASTM E58 Forensic Engineering Committee. Forensic Engineering Committee. And what is the purpose of that committee? They develop uh,
1: some of the standards that are used in the practice of forensic engineering, uh, like how we write our reports, what needs to be in our documents, things like that.
0: So... If there's any kind of changes that need to be made, it goes to that committee. Is, is the committee who votes on whether or not those changes should be implemented? Yes. All right. So you were presented with uh, some knowledge a little bit ago about potentially new definitions being pushed for some ASTM requirements. Um, that kind of seem to work around something related to functional damage. Is it, that right? it appears it appears so. Uh, about
1: two weeks ago, give or take, uh, we had our semiannual meeting of the ASTM fifty eight. In that meeting, there was a discussion about adopting um, three definitions in particular that uh, I think the industry is, needs to be aware of and needs to have some input on. Uh, one of them is a concept called structural distress. One of them is called structural damage and one is called structural failure. And I think that, Matt, you have the one that is the structural distress, and that's the one that I think that we most need to be paying attention to as an industry
0: right now. So before I show these definitions to the audience, and we're going to get into that, um, I want everybody to know if you have any questions, because this is live, you can post your questions in the comments, and we can uh, try to get those answered, but they need to be very specific to this. My impression of what is being pushed seems to be a way for an insurance carrier to start applying functional damage language to a policy that doesn't have any functional damage language. Because, hell, even ASTM or International co Council defines damage in this way. We don't need to define damage in our policy. Does that sound reasonable to you at all?
1: I don't agree with the concept, but I agree that that's what it looks like that they're doing. Um, when I was sitting there and they were having a conversation about it, we were like, okay, how is this going to be used? And they said that the intent was to use it in the next ICC cycle. And For those who don't know, ICC is the one who writes the International Residential Code, the International Building Code, and they're the international codes. So these definitions have the potential to have some pretty significant impacts on The way that we view things and what the way that I can envision them being used is, well, yes, this happened, but because it doesn't meet the standard, it doesn't matter. And that therefore we don't have to do a repair based on what this definition says, or as they say, no action. And so I think there's some pretty significant issues with the phrasing of this. And I think as an industry, we need to be aware of this. And this is why I want to make sure that people are aware of the fact that these things are out there and so that the broader industry can have its input.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and pull up these three definitions. We'll we'll start with them in order. Before I do that, are there any definitions in the International Code Council at all, in any of the IRC, IBC, IEBC, any definition for damage currently?
1: Not that I'm aware
0: of. Yeah, so this is brand new definitions that would be applied. They'd have to change a lot of the language around to even utilize these definitions. So um, here we go. First definition that we come across, they would put under 4.5 of this standard, and it's for structural damage. I'm going to read it out loud. A condition in which decay, deterioration, dilapidation, movement, or other actions has reduced the structural load-bearing components or systems of a building, structure, or components thereof to adequately support intended design loads but not yet caused structural failure. This condition requires repair to restore the structural capacity to adequately support the intended design loads. Tell me what your take is on this real quick.
1: Well, the intent, I think, is on the frame of the building, but they're not real clear in how they phrased it. And I could see this language being used to apply to more than just the frame of the building. But the problem I have is that parts of the building do a lot more than just carry design loads. They may keep snow out, they may keep wind out, they may keep ice out, they may keep dirt and grime out. Um, To focus purely on the structural failure to me is a problem because that is too narrow of a definition. And how I can see this being used is in a way that would um, become monofocused on structure rather than the cladding and the totality of why these components exist.
0: I mean, right away, it, it says uh, decay, deterioration, dilapidation, that all screams a wear and tear type things. Movement could be caused by oh. anything. And then it says other actions. So this is open to being caused by anything. And then it says structural load bearing components. So the if we're talking about an asphalt shingle, it would be possibly the fiberglass reinforcement layer or the it scrim be- in a membrane.
1: It would be up to interpretation because at this point, if they're going to define the load-bearing structure, then I think that maybe that needs to be in the definition. Maybe that can be in the conversation. But as it is right now, it does leave it very open to what exactly it means.
0: What do you think a design load is if we're talking about a roof? Would the shedding of water be considered a design load?
1: I would think the design loads would primarily be focused on snow and wind. Sure. Um, I think water certainly has a, a, a primary role a weight in of something sitting on it. Right. Yeah. It would be the design yeah. load. And I, that would typically be what would be there. And I believe that it'd be more of a cladding type system of applying the load to the cladding. But what we're not getting into really is like, how is the moisture barrier coming in? How are these things being used? And the concern that I see and what I want to see the industry be looking at is, are these definitions going to be narrowed up to a point where they are? applicable to certain circumstances where it's agreeable to everybody or is this going to be left open to the point where it's overly broad?
0: Yeah. All right. So this specifies, but not yet caused structural failure. Because it said that, I'm actually going to skip over to the structural failure definition. A condition whereby distress, damage, or loading has stressed load-bearing elements or systems of a building, structural or components thereof, beyond their capacity, causing collapse excessive deformation, fracture, or unacceptable redistribution of loads. This condition requires repair to restore the structural capacity of affected load bearing elements or systems to adequately support the intended design loads. Commentary here.
1: In this one, they're actually fairly clear that what they're talking about, is it being the frame. And I think that's better than what some of the other definitions are there. Um, There are some things that I think are kind of ambiguous in here. you know, excessive—how dis- they phrase it—excessive um, deformation. Well, I'm not sure exactly what excessive deformation is. Is that saying that it's deformed more than what the code would ideally allow, or are they saying it's something is different? Um, unacceptable redistribution of load. What does that mean? That's a fairly open-ended term, a fairly gen- generalized term, um, and that's where I see that the, there's kind of some of these challenges being done.
0: I mean, if you're talking about a failure in general, if, if this were to be applied as a functional damage type definition or to say that even ASTM or ICC says that this would not be considered a structural failure if it's cosmetic damage or something along those lines, um, a condition where distress stress damage or loading has stressed load bearing elements of a system or a building structure components thereof beyond their capacity, beyond their capacity. Causing collapse, excessive deformation, fracture, or unacceptable redistribution of loads. This is definitely something that is excessive. It's not just a aesthetic condition. It isn't just a... Um, it's something that requires repair. You cannot just let it be and have it continue to function. I really don't like the word fracture in here myself. Uh, it, as many of you in my audience know... The courts have applied the definition of physical damage to be a demonstrable, detrimental physical alteration to tangible property. That's physical damage um, widely accepted by courts across the nation. Unless it's specifically defined otherwise in a policy, that's how it's generally applied. So any physical alteration, if this definition existed, then it wouldn't be a structural failure unless all of these or one of these has occurred and now a repair is required. A loss could be a financial burden. If you are owed for direct physical loss and it doesn't say direct physical damage somewhere in there, then maybe they don't owe you any money if there isn't an actual loss because a repair isn't required. I'm getting into the weeds and I'm going over some people's heads on this. Let's go now to the definition of structural distress, and this is the one that I think is going to be used the most, a condition in which material properties, environmental conditions, damage, decay, or dilapidation have caused dimensional changes, cracking, excessive camber, just like Boeing, deflection, displacement, or other notable changes to load bearing elements or systems of a building structure or components thereof, but has not yet progressed to the level of structural damage. This condition does not require action as the remaining structural capacity of affected load-bearing elements or systems will adequ- adequately support the intended design loads. Repairs are not necessary. Structural distress. Could this, this be a definition that, of cosmetic damage?
1: This was the one that was most concerning to me um, because I can see it being used either intentionally or unintentionally. I, I, I don't. I'm not going to go into the motivation behind it to use it in a way that um, could lead to a conclusion of cosmetic damage or, or pair at that concept. The problem you run into is a lot of times structural members are built with capacities beyond what is designed. And you can have physical damage and still meet the letter of code of what the code says you have to have. Um, t- large scale timbers are, are often that way. And there are other types of members that that comes into play. This definition, could be very, um, very, very very difficult to work with. And I think that this is where the industry really needs to be coming in and having this broader conversation about what does this mean? And is this something that further discussion, not just among members of E58, but among the industry are needed?
0: You know, there's there's components of this that kind of fall in line with the definition of damage that the courts have applied that I just gave you. A demonstrable, detrimental, physical alteration, a tangible property. Demonstrable just means it can be shown. You can exhibit it. It is demonstrable. So notable changes. Physical alteration is a change in the material. So this says dimensional changes, cracking, excessive camber, deflection, displacement, any other changes. So there's your physical alteration to... Tangible property is just property that is physical in nature. It's not an idea. So the word detrimental isn't really applied here because they're trying to say that this really doesn't require any action. So if those are conditions that don't require an action, then maybe they're no longer detrimental and maybe you could bypass a definition.
1: That's how I see this definition being used. And that's what concerns me is you can have things that are damaged, things that are in need of replacement. But because if it still meets the original design criteria of the day, that this could be used to then say it doesn't have to be repaired. There's There's no action required. So that's my concern.
0: It's very concerning. I can say this. If I'm an insurance company that is wanting to save as much money as possible, the one thing that I need to do is collect more premiums to make money. I want to save money, so I want to reduce my coverages. If I literally reduce my coverages, I have to reduce my premiums. If I can reduce my coverages without changing my policy language, then I don't have to reduce my premiums. I don't have to get anything approved with the state department of insurance. This could be applied in a way that the coverages are automatically reduced because now they're just using ASTM or ICC definitions for what is or isn't damaged. Extra contractual definitions. I'm not thrilled with this. I'm glad that you brought this to our attention because you told me before that with ASTM and committees like that, they don't want to get involved in something that is very publicly inflammatory.
1: There's, so there's a if push there's for a consensus. a
0: hoo-ha about this, they're not likely to approve it. Is that about there's right? A big
1: push for, there's a big push for consensus and there's a big push for making sure that everyone's on the same page and to try to find a commonality. And that's really where it's at right now is I think there's a lot on this that we need to have that conversation. We need to have that discussion and see what can be done to find a common definition that everyone agrees is representative, but also make sure that we, uh, if if there's not a need for the definitions to be adopted, that maybe we don't as, as ASTM's committee, maybe that committee doesn't make the decision to do so. I can't speak for the committee as a whole, but I do think that we need to have that voice get out there. But I'll tell you the other thing that's really important there are many, many, many committees from ASTM to ICC, to your local building codes to, you know, I, I can't even keep track all of them, but it's really important that we have that voice and that we're being involved in those committees because there are a lot of people that are going to be involved in them that may not agree with um, certain concepts. So it's really important that the contractors, that the attorneys, the public adjusters, the engineers, that are representing everyone, that those voices are being heard and that those individuals are involved so that if things like this are occurring, that we can have that voice ahead of time. Because there have been some changes in the code made over the years that are controversial. One of them is the uh, change in requirements for drainage on the ICC, on the commercial buildings. And the Not engineering having to increase the slope to a quarter yeah, over and 12, yeah. There, there was a paper that I think mm-hmm. it was Nelson did in October, back at Forensic Congress for ASCE, that was talking about the failures that have resulted from that. And I think that if there had been a broader discussion about it, that maybe there might have been some different judgments made and some different decisions made over the time. But the, you know, the committees can only voice and what they're hearing. So it's really important that we all get involved and
0: pick one or two of these to become
1: involved in. I
0: I can't be involved in everything. I didn't even realize that this was a front that we needed to battle on. We keep so much of an eye on legislative uh, policies and, and, working with legislators and departments of insurance to see if there's anything coming down that could change the statutes or the laws. We talk to attorneys to keep up with case law. This isn't something I even thought about. This is way beyond anything. I it's brilliant. It's brilliant in its way. Um, there is a question from the audience about uh, who initially made the recommended changes.
1: It was a say? member of the committee. It was a member of the committee. And from what I heard in the at the
0: time, this off. has been a process ongoing
1: for a number of years.
0: Yeah. So we got lucky enough to find this just because Chad was uh, nice enough to bring it to my attention. There's bound to be other things that are happening in some other segment that has nothing to do with insurance that you might think of that something's happening like this diabolical. It's genius in its own way. Whoever came up with this plan, uh, kudos. It's very well played. Um, But now that we know about it, please share this video with everyone, you know, the more people that know about this, the harder it's going to be to push something like this through for any uh, diabolical uses. I should say Um, if you don't think that this is, anything in particular. Maybe it's innocuous. Maybe it has nothing to do with what I'm saying. Let me know. I want to see in the commentary if you think that this is one way that insurance companies are trying to get away with some things. I could be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. I want to know what your opinion is. Please uh, post in the comments. And this has been the latest edition of Breaking Bull. Thank you for tuning in. Please share. Thanks, Chad.